Turn to Nehemiah chapter number six. And I want to ask you a question in your own life. You know, there's things that we work on, right? There's things that we build on in our own lives. It may be relationships with our family. It might be our, well, it ought to be our walk with the Lord all the time. That ought to be at the top of our list. But, you know, there's things that you struggle with. Uh, it may be a besetting sin. It may be, it may be a relationship with your, with your son or your daughter or, you know, a, a family member, your mother. Something that you're building on. And, uh, you know, you're really working with God on it. You know it's what God wants and and you're listening to the Lord on it, and you're drawing close to the Lord. But, you know, it seems like at times, the closer you get to the Lord, the more the enemy attacks. Amen. And uh, I want to talk to you about that today. I've been no shortage of letting you know that the devil attacks you. But today, I just want to talk about three tools that he uses to stop you. And as we look at Nehemiah today, I'd like you to keep that in mind as we read. But uh, I'd, I'd like, uh, Brother Charlie, would you pray for us this morning? Amen. I look at Nehemiah, I come back to it every now and then. But, uh, you know, Nehemiah had a burden. And a lot of preachers will use Nehemiah when there's a building project or something like that. Well, I, I tell you. We, we ought to always be working on our own, building our lives closer to Jesus. But uh, Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. The, you know, we're studying the kings of Israel and Judah, and they do good, they do bad, they do good. But there came a time when the Lord was done with them. The Lord had told him he would turn them over to other nations, and they ignored it, and they worshiped other gods. And, and there came a time when God said, all right, enough is enough. He allowed Babylon to come in and take them, and then he allowed Persia to come in and take Babylon. And uh, that's where we show up here in Nehemiah. And, of course, in order to capture them, they had to tear up Jerusalem. Nehemiah has a burden for Jerusalem. And he finds out about it, and they tell him the the walls are broken down and the gates are burned with fire. And it breaks his heart to know that the place where God dwelt, the city which was set aside for God, it was God's holy city, Jerusalem. It, it, it just broke him, broke his heart. And he prayed a prayer over in chapter 1 and he, he, he confessed the sins of their fathers. He confessed his own sins and he also he prayed that the Lord would using basically and I'm paraphrasing a lot here but he gets the opportunity when he goes before the king and the king sees him sad and that's not a safe thing to be in front of the king of Persia a man who can have you you know if the Kool-Aid tastes bad he can have your head taken off he stands before the king and the king says why is your countenance sad and he's he prays a quick prayer. I call it the Nehemiah prayer. You know, sometimes we're in those circumstances and we just say, Lord, just give me something. Give me the words to speak. Or, Lord, help me through this. You say that quick little prayer. It doesn't always have to be majestic. But Nehemiah plays it, prays that quick little prayer and then he tells the king what's on his heart. And the king says, well, how long will you need? 
and he sends him out to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah takes a, takes a tour around the city. He doesn't even tell anybody what's on his heart. See, not only had the king sent him, he sent supplies and he, he, he sent him letters so that he could have supplies to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And uh, God had set it up that way. He, he put it on the king of Persia's heart. But uh, yeah, I know I'm being very, I'm paraphrasing a lot with this, but Nehemiah does the tour and he sees and it just breaks his heart. He sees the burnt down walls. You ever been in a building that hadn't been used? It's kind of like walking around in this one. You walk in the back and you see that fellowship hall and you think, you know, man, that would be a great place to meet. But then you know about the problems in it. It's like, we just can't do that. I mean, there's a great big empty hall back there. There's a big old kitchen in there, you know. And you say, well, I thought you were going, well, you know, sometimes a little bit of building in there. But yeah, that's the way it is. You go around Jerusalem. He goes around Jerusalem and he sees what used to be. I think he can see King David walking through the gate. I think he can see the, the battle in array, you know, all of the soldiers riding through the gate. I think he could see all those merchantmen that had come to Jerusalem. I think he could see all the different things that could happen. I think he could see the Ark of the Covenant being carried through, and I think it moved his heart, and I think he cried at the same time when he saw all those burned-out beams and when he saw all that trash that had been left and all the, all, all the debris that was there, and it broke his heart. Look over at... Uh, we're not going to be here, but I just want to give you the picture. Look over in chapter number one. Verse number 12. I'm sorry. Yeah, Nehemiah chapter number two, verse number 12. I'm sorry. Nehemiah chapter number two, verse number 12. And it's not part of the sermon, but it says, And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass." Then I went up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, and he gathers them and he speaks to them. And he says, you see the stress, the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. You can see everybody getting excited about it. Somebody's finally paying attention to it. Somebody... There's finally hope because they couldn't do anything while they were under the king of Persia. They, they, they weren't their own nation. They couldn't build up Jerusalem. It would look like rebellion. But here they had the king's blessing to rebuild it. And he has all the leaders gathered together and they say, yeah, we could see the walls go up again. He says, uh, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Well, when Sambalat, the Horonite, 
And Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? Let me tell you, anytime you want to do something for the Lord, the the devil's there to get in the way. He's going to get upset about it. And I'm talking about building up your own relationship with God. I'm talking about building up anything that has to do with getting closer to God. You start to do something in the church, you start to volunteer. And I know we don't have a lot of volunteer spots. We'll work on that with the Lord's help. We'll grow as we need to grow. But you start to step up for the Lord, and there's going to be some opposition from somewhere. And here Nehemiah comes back, and they're going to build the walls of Jerusalem. And everybody's not universally happy about this. Oh, Sambalat and Tobiah, they, they, they're afraid to see the walls go up. They're afraid that the Jews will take over. They're afraid that they'll multiply, that they'll, that they'll become a kingdom again. They don't want to see it. But their first reaction is to laugh at him and laugh him to scorn. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? And then he answered them. He said, he said, and I said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Now turn back over to Nehemiah chapter number six. They begin to rebuild the walls, and there's some, there some problems that they run into. There's some things that they overcome. But when we get to chapter 6, it says, Now it came to pass when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arabian, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein. He's, he's got the walls rebuilt. But there's a little bit that needs to be done yet. The walls aren't finished. And that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. The Sambalat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some way in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sword, and I answered them after the same manner. Then then sent Sambalat his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen in Gashmu, saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. And now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. That it... Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Afterward, I came into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Meth. Mahedabil, who was shut up. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us shut the doors of the temple for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, should such a man as I flee and who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceive that God had not sent me, sent him. 
but that he pronounced his prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. And therefore he was hired that I should be afraid and do so in sin, that they might have matter for an evil report, that they might reproach me. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sambalat according to these works and on the prophetess and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. And verse 15 says, so the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month in 50 and 2 days. I know that was a lot to read, but just to cover. These Nehemiah is, is they're, they're nigh on finishing the wall. All they have to do is hang the gates and they'll be done with the walls. And let me tell you something. When you, when you think you are closest to conquering something in your life, when you get to that point where you think, I, I got this beat, you get to that point and you say, we're, we're at the end of the road here. We're just about there. This, all we have to do is this, and then, man, I got this whip. And I tell you, it can be any number of things in your life. It can be, like I said, it can be a besetting sin. It could be building a relationship with someone. It could be drawing closer to God. It can be getting back in the house of the God. Oh, God. I don't know how many times I've seen people that draw close to God and they begin to step up in church, and then the devil sends something their way. And he's got some tools that he uses to convince people that they need to be somewhere else or to, to send them out. So I want to say three tools to stop you is what I name it. It's not a real good title, but it's three tools that the devil has to stop you. The devil uses these against you, distraction, discouragement, and deception. Look at the first one. Look at verses 1 through 4. He says, when Sambalat and Tobiah, let's see, verse number 2. They said, come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great work. This is verse number 3. So that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? The first thing is distraction or compromise. The devil, the devil will send you something to get you to kind of pull away. Nehemiah is up there and he's working on the wall and they're saying, well, let's meet. Let's meet out here in one of the villages. And if they can get him away from that wall, if they, they, they've already tried to attack the wall, but they, they put trumpeters on the wall. There wasn't enough of them to defend the whole wall, so they put trumpeters so that if there was a battle in one place or the other, they'd blow the trumpet and they could defend each other. But they said, if we can get Nehemiah out here in one of the villages, we can put a stop to all of this. He's the one keeping the work going. He's the one that's motivating everyone. God's doing it, but God's using him. And if we can just get him out here. And let me tell you something. The devil will send something to get you to compromise. If he, can get, if he can tell you in your mind, if you just meet me out here, you don't have to go all the way. You know, I always think a lot. Hitching his tent towards Sodom. Him and Abraham have a disagreement because there's so many sheep that are out there. They're, they're sheep and cattle and their men begin to fight. Follow me here. Stay with me. Their men begin to fight. And Abraham says, I tell you what, Lot, you, you look out, you choose out, you go one way, I'll go the other. There's too many of us, and we shouldn't be fighting. We're family. You go one way, I go the other. I know God's going to take care of me whichever way I go. You just pick. Lot looks out there, and he sees the plains that are well watered. 
He was with Abraham. He was with the one who was following God. He was with the one who was building altars. He was with the one who God was speaking to. He looks out there and he sees the plains that are well watered. He's not thinking anything about building his own altar. He's thinking about, man, that looks good. I could really feed some sheep over here. And so he goes out on the plains, and then there's the city of Sodom. I mean, you may as well put flashing neon lights in it in your mind, you know. I know they didn't have them back then. I know I'm not being historically correct. But you can imagine the neon, the flashing. You can imagine the sin that's going on. I'm going to put Las Vegas. I'll pick on Miss Veronica. You put Reno there. I don't know. Well, whatever it is, Lot looks out on those plains, and all of a sudden that well-watered plain, yeah, you know, they got big old grocery. Man, they got a Costco in there. And he pitches his tent towards Sodom, the Bible tells us. He didn't move into Sodom. He just kind of pitched his tent towards Sodom. We can do that in our own lives. You think that your walk is going just fine. Man, I'm walking with the Lord, and I, I am. You're walking on a cloud. And then the devil will put something in front of your eyes. Maybe a girl, maybe a job, maybe a guy. I'm not going to pick for you. But the devil will put something in front of you. And I know most of us here are old enough to, to have seen it happen. You're, you're going to church regular. You got your kids going to church. And then the devil puts something in front of your eyes. And you say, well, I'm not going there. I'm just going to kind of pitch my tent toward there. We get into the story a lot, and next thing we know, Lot's sitting in the gate. We don't know where his cattle went. He probably sold them all so he could get a condo in the city. We never hear any more about the sheep or the wealth that he had. We never hear any more about the men that were working with him. They might have gone on to work with Abraham. They might be on oil rig. We don't know. All we know is that Lot is in that city. And Abraham has a discussion with the Lord. And the Lord decides to tell him. He said, I'm going to take out Sodom. And Abraham's thinking of his nephew Lot. Saw, he saw him. He saw him choose the plains that were well watered. And Abraham watched him as they moved on. And he watched him as he pitched that tent. You know, maybe he visited him a few times. You know, Lot, I, you, you really want to be this close to Sodom? Ah, oh, it's not so bad, uncle. Here, you know, we're just we're just pitching the tent here. We're not we're not. It's not like we're in the city or anything. And then he watched, and that tent was gone. Next thing he knows, he sees the backside of Lot going into the city. Next thing you know, the city is being destroyed. Lot doesn't have a wife. All he has is his two daughters. All that wealth that he had is gone. That condo is dust. <laughs> And Lot's out there on the plain, and they're telling him to run toward the mountains to be safe. And these are angels telling him that. And, and Lot looks out there and says, well, I don't know about the mountains. That's kind of dangerous. What about this little city over here? It's just a little city. Is it not a little one? And they give him permission to go there. He ends up in the mountains anyway. I know that's a long story, but that's the illustration that I have. Because Lot comes to me time and time again. It's that reminder when you begin to pitch your tent towards Sodom. And Sam Blatt and Tobiah, the wall's being built. There's a great work being done for the Lord. If they can just get him to compromise a little bit and get him out in the city, 
they can get that work to stop. Because it's not finished yet. The walls aren't up. So they use distraction. He's out there working and they say, just, just meet us in the plains. The other tool that the devil has is discouragement. Oh, we've been down that road plenty of times. Hey, I think I got a house on that road. You know, y'all, y'all tell me. Y'all tell me all the time. Preacher, don't insult yourself like that. Oh, I'm sorry. That's just the road I live on. And, you know, and I feel like if I didn't let myself, well, I don't want to be discouraged. The sermon ain't about your preacher now, but y'all listen to me. Discouragement can bring you down, but sometimes it can also make you pull up out of the mud. Amen? If you're honest with yourself, you'll be willing to pull out of the mud. Be able to pull out of that compromise. Discouragement. Look at verse number five. Well, let, let me finish up that other point while we're there. Verse number three, look how he handled it. He said, I sent messengers unto them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it? You know, the devil's got some tools. He's got distraction, discouragement. But, you know, we also have some tools. And the Lord gives us discernment. The Lord gives us the ability to see when problems are coming. When you stay in your Bible, the Lord will bring it to mind when you start to get distracted, when you start to go toward compromise. If you're staying in the Word, you'll have the discernment. And also the wisdom to stay out of it. God gives us wisdom. And he tells them, you know, why I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? The other tool that we have is discipline. It, it takes some self-discipline. Just flat out. You say, preacher, we hear this all the time. I, I get it. I used to listen to a preacher. I had a list. I could just check it off when he preached. Y'all keep praying for me. But it doesn't make it any less true. It takes some discipline. You know, I like to free people up. I like, to, I like that we have liberty in Christ. And I believe our relationship is between God and us. But I also realize it takes some discipline to open your Bible every morning. It takes some discipline to pray. It takes some discipline not to leave the work, not to be distracted, not to be taken away from the work that God has given you. It doesn't just happen automatically. Oh, you said that before. I'll say it again. It doesn't happen automatically. You get up in the morning. Here I go. Here he goes. He's, he's mean. You get up in the morning. You say, well, maybe I'll listen online or maybe I'll. <laughs> I'm just picking. Big smile on my face for anybody that can't see it. But the truth of the matter is, if you wait to decide, I said it before, I'll say it again. If you wait till that morning to decide, you will never make it. You're not going to make it because the devil's going to have a distraction for you. You're going to go in there to make cereal and say, man, I'm going, you know, I might, I might go out. I'm, I'm just going to eat this box of cereal. Next thing you know, you got the best cereal prize in that box and you're playing with it all morning. I don't know. What, whatever. The devil knows what to put in front of you. I don't care what it is. And you won't go. You have to have discipline. Uh-oh. You also got to not lose your place. 
I got to get a printer, y'all. There we go. All right. What? Look at, uh, everybody looking at me. November, uh, Nehemiah chapter number six. Look at verse number five. So Nehemiah stayed with it. And they sent him a letter four times, or yeah, four times, saying, hey, come out here, come out here. And he said, no, no, y'all can come, y'all can come here if you want. I'm not going out there because he doesn't pull away from the work. You know, God has something for us. And there's so many times people get distracted and get pulled out there. So verse number five, then sent Sambalat his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. You know about those open letters? That means it's there for everyone to read. A letter that was normally sealed and it's meant for the person that it goes to and it's a private conversation. Nowadays, an open letter means it's on the news. <laughs> it would have been the same back then because whoever was delivering it, whatever house he passed, everybody else read it too. So they sent an open letter to him wherein was written, verse number six, it is reported among the heathen and Gashmu saith it that thou and the Jews think to rebel for which cause thou buildest the wall that thou mayest be their king according to these words. So now he's accusing him of sedition, of treason against the king of Persia. That's some pretty serious stuff. And verse number seven, and thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. And now he's accusing him of wanting to be the Messiah. And it's in an open letter for everyone else to read. You ever had somebody lie on you? I know that's never happened to anybody here. Somebody lies on you, and it's like, man, where did you get that mess from? And he says, uh, verse number seven, and now hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying there is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. You come and talk to us. We'll, we'll get all this cleared up. You come on out here. And uh, verse number eight, then I sent unto him saying, there are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. So not only will he try to pull you away with distraction, but he'd try to discourage you. A lie like that will make you want to give up. You know, I, I think about some of these police officers. Oh, here he goes getting political. Well, not too much. But I, I think about these police officers on the line where everybody's cussing them on both sides. You got, I don't know if you know about what's been going on, but they stand in front of the protesters and they get cussed out and they get told they're baby killers and they get told they're killers. And uh, on the other side, if they do something, they get prosecuted. And so they, they don't know. That's discouraging. There's a lot of officers who are thinking, you know, maybe we'll just pull back and let the city burn. Just let it burn. Just give them what they want. And here in Nehemiah, he's doing a good work. He's doing a work for the Lord, but he's got people up against him. And they're spreading lies about him. And that can get discouraging. 
You know, a, a lie can take somebody out. Uh, I was reading an illustration. You know, I hadn't had it per- happen personally. I told you that I was almost the cause of it one time because I used to run my mouth, and the Lord taught me something, taught me a hard lesson on that. But you can hurt somebody running your mouth about them. And somebody that's trying to do right, and just to put it in the context of a church, and nobody here is guilty, no, nobody that I know of. Now, if, if your phone's ringing, answer it. If the shoe fits, put it on. But somebody that's trying to do right and, and going to church, but they're, they're past it and too far behind them, and somebody starts talking about it, it'll discourage. It can cause them to, I, I, I picture it like a flight. And there they are, they're hanging on, they've been shot up. You know, like in World War II, you know, P-47s flying over. P-51s, let's be majestic. So the P-51s up in the air, and they're flying in formation, and they're just barely hanging on because they've been so shot up with flak. And somebody lies at them, lies about them, and it hurts them. Maybe the preacher says something wrong, and it hurts them. And you see that person that's trying to follow God and is trying to fly in formation, and those words hit them, that's all it took because they were just barely hanging on. And there you are in your P-51 Mustang, majestic. And you see that plane just go off into a tailspin. And you see that person's life just go off into a tailspin. I told you I'm not talking about anybody specific right now, right? But if your phone's ringing, answer it. But that's what I always thought of, you know. When I, when I started preaching, one of the things I threw out the window was what they used to say when you were a kid. Sticks and stones may, hurt, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Whew. Words are powerful. They'll send people out. They will hate God. They will hate the church. They will hate the people in the church. They won't want nothing to do with it. They go off into that tailspin. Their life goes off into a tailspin. You know how much a relationship with God would help them. But the person that did that didn't let God work on them, didn't let God change things for them, didn't let him patch up their wings. You know what I'm saying? I know this sounds mean. I'm just, I'm, I'm being straight here, right? And the devil is behind a lot of that stuff. Well, let's, let's say the devil's behind that. Some of it's your mouth. Some of it could be your mouth behind that stuff. I told you, I've been guilty. I'm taking the sting out of it. But the devil gets behind that stuff, and he'll just send someone, and there's another one. He, I don't have to worry about that one. I don't have to worry about them witnessing. I don't have to worry about them being there for that kid. I don't have to worry about them raising their kids in the house of God. I don't have to worry about one of their kids becoming a preacher. I don't have to worry about one of their kids leading someone to the Lord unless somebody else gets a hold of them. But as far as they go, I don't have to worry about them. That's another one down. And he'll use discouragement. He'll lie to you about your results. He'll tell you you're not doing good enough. That person that's in the mirror talking to you, the devil's sitting on your shoulder. He said, you know, you ain't doing very much. You're just not doing anything for the Lord. He'll lie to you. Some of it may be the truth. Sometimes he's using the truth. I don't know. I'm just babbling on now, ain't I? He'll lie to you about your loyalty. He said that he's, he's, he's trying to rebel against the king. And he'll lie about your loyalty to God. 
Are you sure you got saved? I mean, look what you've been doing the last week. Are you sure? You think he's going to want you in heaven? Now, somebody can clip that out and say, well, Brother Keith, you, you sure are hurting people. No, I'm telling you what the devil brings up. Somebody gets saved, one of the first things the devil tells him, yeah, all you did was pray. And, and there you are, you're messing up again. Well, what is that? You think God really wants, yeah, God wants something to do with you. God wants you to repent and turn to you. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, God wants you. And Nehemiah knows it. Nehemiah knows God's word, and he's not getting taken apart by any of this. He's there for a purpose, and that's where the discipline comes in. You need to realize why you're in church. You need to realize why you're in your Bible, why you're praying, because if you don't, the devil can take you out. I know that's plain English. I know it's not elegant. (laughs) It's just plain, simple fact. The devil can take you out. He'll lie to you about your loyalty. Job 1.8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, That Job feared God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. He questioned Job's loyalty. Well, of course he loves you. You've done everything for him. You take all that away. Let's see what happens. They took it all away from Job. He said, naked came I into the world. Naked, I'll return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He'll lie about your motivation. They accused him of wanting to be the king of Judah. Yeah. Why are you giving money to the church? What, you just want people to see you? Why are you doing that? I don't know. I'm just shooting in the dark here. You know what the devil gets on you about. I don't. Be glad I don't. Then I'd have a scope on my Bible. You know them preachers, they know everything that's going on in people's lives, and they get up there. Look down the Bible and scope someone out. They hit them in the heart. I'm just throwing stuff out there, hoping it sticks. So if you're sitting out there and say, well, he didn't hit on mine, <laughs> that doesn't set you free. I'm sorry. If the, Lord's, if the Lord's showing something to you, but he'll lie about your motivation. The devil asks you, why are you really doing this? Why are you giving? It's just because you want to be seen, isn't it? He'll lie about your method. But... 1 Peter 3.12 tells us, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happier are you. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. You know what one of our tools are? You know, Satan's got his tool. We've got our tools. You know what your tool is? 
It's being right with God. It's a clean conscience. When you know that you're right with God, it doesn't matter what anybody says about you. When you know that you're right with God, you know that he's the final judge and he's the final arbiter. Being right with God, when you stay close to God, when you hadn't got distracted, when you hadn't got compromised out on the plane pitching your tent towards Sodom, when someone lies against you, it's like, Lord, you know this isn't true. Lord, help me, please. It's that confidence. And old Nehemiah, he had that confidence. Listen to what he said. Verse number eight, he said, Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. You're just making it up. You are just making this stuff up. You know it's not true, and everybody here knows that it's not true. Because everybody here, we've gone and had, we've had supper at their house, we've talked to them, nobody said anything about raising up the wall of Jerusalem to fight against the king of Persia. Nobody said anything about making me king. Nobody in this land Everybody that knows what's going on in Jerusalem knows that this isn't happening. You're just making it up. And it's having confidence. But you know, if you were a little subversive there, if you'd been saying, you know, I wonder what it'd be like to be king of Judah. You might have a little guilt there and you wouldn't be able to fight it. So our weapon, our tool, being right with the Lord. And then there's deception. This is a tricky one. When we get to deception, look at uh, verse number 10. Well, to finish up, verse number 9, for they all made us afraid, saying their hands shall be weakened from the work that it not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Go unto the Lord for strength. That's your other tool. And uh, verse number 10, afterward I came into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabil, who was shut up, and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. So he goes to see Shemaiah, and he's shut up in his house, and Shemaiah has a prophecy. He said, they're, they're going to assassinate you tonight. But I tell you what, let's go hide, because Shemaiah's a priest. I'm a priest, so let's go hide in the house of the Lord. Let's go hide over in the temple. Y'all know what's, asked, what's wrong with that, Bible scholars? Hiding in the Holy of Holies where God dwells in the temple, it's not to be done. Only the Levitical priest could go in there. And if Nehemiah goes and hides in the temple to save his own neck, he's breaking God's law. And he's saying, just, but, but I'm a priest. It's okay. We can go in there. Now, I'm paraphrasing. Let me read you what it wrote. He said, uh, He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us shut the doors of the temple for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they, will they come to slay thee. Verse number 11, and I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. You know, that tool of discernment, it's knowing your Bible, it's knowing what God says. There'll be somebody to tell you, you know, well, God told me, you know, God told me that you need to be doing this. Well, he ain't told me. <laughs> and they'll try to steer you away. Go in your Bibles to uh, 1 Kings chapter 13. Keep your ribbon on Nehemiah or your finger or a piece of paper. 1 Kings chapter number 13. 
don't get upset. You're going to have to wait if you go to a restaurant anyway because you all got a social distance. Ain't going to be no room for you. Or you can order takeout and it'll, it'll get there. It'll be there when you get there. Y'all stick with I don't do this often enough. First Kings chapter number 13. In First Kings chapter number 13, we have a prophet that's going to Jeroboam. And he's telling him he's doing wrong. It says, And behold, there came a man of God, verse number 1, out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar... In the word of the Lord, and said, Altar, O altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David. And he prophesies against Jeroboam, but that's not the main point. Stay with me, let me find the verse. Uh, verse number six. And the king and he, the, the king puts his hand out toward him and it turns to it withers on him. And then he asked him to entreat the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God and pray for me that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord and the king's hand was restored unto him again and became as it was before. And the king said, and pay attention to this part. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself and I will give thee a reward. I don't think he was going to get, I don't think it was a reward that he had in mind. But... Verse number eight, and the man of God said unto the king, if thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was charged me by the word of the Lord saying, eat no bread nor drink water nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. Now Nehemiah knew what God had, I mean, uh, this prophet He's an unnamed prophet. Knew what God had told him. God had charged him not to eat or drink anything, but to go, go on his way and go back another way, go back a different way. Well, look at verse number 11. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king. Them they told also to their father. He's an old prophet. Verse 12, and their father said unto them, what way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, saddle, saddle me the donkey, saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass and he rode thereon. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. He knew what God had told him. Verse 17, for it was said to me by the word of the Lord, thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. Verse 18, he said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. You ever had anybody tell you that? I'm a Christian too. And then start to tell you some nonsense that you know is not in the Bible. But here this man, this old man that God's not using, this old prophet, he goes and seeks out this young prophet for whatever reason. He wants to have dinner with him. He says, come with me. And the, the prophet said, no, I can't go with you. And then the old man lies. He said, well, God told me. He said, verse 17, for it was said to me by... Uh, 
verse 18, he said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. I'll let you read it for yourself just to pique your interest. But the prophet ends up getting slain by a lion. And the old man is the one that gives him the prophecy, the one that lied to him. But you know, you got to be careful who's giving you the information. And you got to be careful that it's coming from God. And that's where your discernment comes in. Look at Hebrews chapter number five. Is everybody hanging in okay? Because we're getting there. We're getting toward the end. Hebrews chapter number five. I'll tell you all a secret. When you listen to them online, it doesn't matter how long it is. You just go on cleaning the house or whatever. Hebrews chapter number five. Look at... uh, Gotta be careful because Hebrews will get you deep or it'll get you off track. Hebrews chapter number five, verse number 13. It says, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth unto them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And it's talking about the sincere milk of the word, and it's talking about the meat of the word. You know, there's the milk, and I'll call it the testament Christians. You know, the ones that go to the Christian bookstore, and they just get the little whatever, you know. And then there's the meat. When you begin to learn about God's word, when you begin to learn a little bit about revelation, when you begin to learn about the law and grace and things like that, and you begin to have discernment about what God wants for you, what he actually wants, not what you make up for yourself, You know what I'm saying? Discernment. And we should have our senses exercised with the the Word of God. We should be in the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with devotionals. I got one myself. I got a favorite one. It's Oswald Chambers. And it's, I mean, that thing was written over 100 years ago, and it's amazing. That thing will hit me right in the gut some days when I open it. It's like, well, how did he know it was going to be this day right now? (laughs) God will use things. But he wants us in the Bible. So that verse there, read it. You know, learn learn what's in the Word. And that discernment, and and that young man, he didn't have the discernment to know that God had spoken to him and given him a direct order, and he he wasn't going to change it through some old preacher that God wasn't even using anymore. Do Do you follow me on that? So here is Nehemiah, and you can go back there, and we're almost done. We'll be done another hour. You go back to Nehemiah, and the prophet Shemaiah, and he's got all these people against him, but the prophet Shemaiah tells him, look, you're going to be, there's an assassin coming for you. Let's hide in the temple. I'm a priest. It's okay. Let's hide in the temple. Nehemiah says, should a man such as I go and hide himself in the temple? He said, no, I'll take my chances out here. I'll let the Lord decide. Let it be the Lord. And he said, uh, verse 12, And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. 
He perceived. He understood. He discerned what was going on. God gave him wisdom in the matter. What are the end results? Because Nehemiah withstood these tools of the devil. Look at uh, verse number 15. It said, So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month, Elu, in 50 and 2 days. So the wall was finished in 52 days. Remember, just 52 days before it had gone through and it was all broken down and burnt and just a, just a ghost of what it was. But when God got in it and began building it, it was done in 52 days. He could have said, man, I, I want to stay out here as long as I can because then I got to go back to be the cupbearer. I, you know, I like being the governor here. He, he didn't do that. He did what, the God, what God wanted him to. And the work was finished. And he said, uh, but it wasn't all over. He said, so the wall was finished in the, in verse 16, and it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. I think about this. I think about how Nehemiah wasn't pulled away. I he didn't let the compromise, he didn't let the distraction, he didn't let the deception pull him away from what God had for him. And he got the reward of seeing God's work. But not only that, it was a testimony to those around him that God was in it. You know, in your own life, whatever God's working on in your life, don't let all that pull you away. Use your discernment, use the tools that God gave you. Keep in fellowship with him. Don't let him pull you away. I guarantee you, you know, I asked you this morning, I said, let's pray for this church. Pray, pray before each service, all of y'all. We don't have to gather corporately, but I'd like y'all to keep it in mind. You driving in the car, I don't care. Driving in the car, taking a shower, whatever you're doing, pray for the service. Pray that we'll see people get saved. But you need to be aware of something else. God begins to move in this church and you start to see people get saved. <laughs> the devil's going to make a move. Okay? I'm just being straightforward. I'm confident that God's going to move in this church. I already saw it this morning. I don't know if y'all realize it. We had a good time. Singing. And wasn't this the best sermon you ever heard? I don't know. Everybody stand up.